Welcome folks you are listening to the capital analyst and i am your host prabhul gupta today our guest is keshav bagri keshav is a venture capitalist at bertelsman india investments a tech focused vc firm but if you have ever been on linkedin you will probably know him as the co-founder of a junior vc india's largest internet community uncovering stories cases and analysis from the indian startup ecosystem Keshav did his MBA from IIM Calcutta and has worked at SmartCube, Goldman Sachs, Acumen, and BCG in the past. Keshav, welcome to the show, Keshav. How are you doing? Thank you, Rubble. It's a pleasure to meet you, and happy to share my experiences. Thanks for having me here. Yeah, it's it's great to have you with us, Keshav. So to kick off the proceedings, why don't you start by telling us how did you actually end up working in the venture capitalist space? What brought you here, and how has this journey been so far? Sure, Prabhul. Happy to do that. I think it's been a mix of factors, right? So, uh, I think I'll have to talk about my journey post uh, graduation, probably. So, I did my graduation from Bachelor of Business Studies from College of Business Studies (CBS), right? And after that, I was always very interested, keen in the entrepreneurial ecosystem. So, even in college, I was part of the E Cell. Uh, post that, uh, during my MBA time, also was part of the E Cell. Uh, was interacting with entrepreneurs in various sectors. and always had a very sort of strong uh, motivation to be able to help them and be a part of the ecosystem in any way right so that was there and post my graduation i sort of dabbled into various things so one was consulting so i spent an year with the smart cube working on various projects uh, for fortune 500 clients so it was a typical uh, consulting kind of a work experience which i got for one year and after that i shifted to investment banking because i was lured by uh the typical investment banking profile that you you were working uh very rigorous as it was a super hectic work culture but at the same time it was very gratifying intellectually as well as mentally uh and that is why i spent two years with goldman sachs which is among the best sort of investment banks in the world and after that i realized that working on the sell side right that i wanted to move towards the buy side uh because while i liked both consulting and investment banking i was looking for a blended kind of experience from my future role right and buy side really provided that perfect opportunity that um, you were using your financial analysis evaluation skills when you were digging deeper into the startup company's data and once you were doing that post in the portfolio management you were actually acting as a consultant or a friend or a mentor for the startup or the founder right so it was a mix of both of things and that is why i was very keen uh, to move towards the buy side cool So now that you have mentioned about buy side versus sell side, usually you see people a lot confused between whether they should end up working on the buy side, whether they should end up working on the sell side. So I wanted to know what is your opinion? Is it just two sides of the same coin, or are they completely different worlds with completely different skill sets required to excel in? Sure, uh, that's an interesting question, and uh, see, I have a couple of points for that which I'll mention. Right, uh, since I have worked in both sell side, buy side, I can share my experiences. uh from that right so i think the first point which i'd probably say is that uh in sell side what is happening is that uh, it's more top driven right that your partners are going out and sourcing deals and then uh, as an analyst associate or vp you are working on that right so you are project managing the entire uh project and working with your own sort of team right so that is there on the other side in buy side it's more bottom driven right so you as an analyst or associate you are going out uh, scouting deals uh, speaking to the best entrepreneurs building out your thesis and then 
surfacing the best deals to the partners, right? So it that's one sort of big difference, uh, which is there in buy side and sell side, right? The second one, which I would say is that uh, it's more project driven, right? So consulting, investment banking, there's a specific project which you're working on. It can be for two weeks to six months, right? And then you're working. There's a very structured kind of environment where you're working on. There are sort of interim milestones which are defined. You're having weekly or fortnightly calls, update calls with the clients. And you know there's a specific path in that sense, right? Uh, while VC, on the other hand, it's very unstructured, VC or PE, right? Because you don't know in a particular week uh, what will be the most urgent or important task, right? Uh, there can be a, a portfolio company which uh, comes out to raise very quickly and then you have to prepare an investment memo or you speak to a very interesting company who's raising on a tight timeline and then the next two weeks are devoted just to diligence that company, right? So it's very unstructured in that sense and that is why I mean, uh, one joke which I have is that you can't plan your holidays in advance if you're working on bicep, right? Because every week is very different. You don't know when a particular week might become very busy, right? So that is there. And another thing is that uh, it's it's more that, I mean, from, a, from, from that perspective that uh, if you're really sort of very, I mean, as I mentioned earlier, right? That bicep gives you a blended kind of experience. It's the mix of both uh, the things of consulting and investment banking. So that is why you are sort of very, very, uh, if, if you are very keen to speak to startups, all of that, uh, that is a more, uh, I would say a better uh, blend as compared to the sell side, right? And the last thing is that uh, you have to be a very curious or uh, someone who is motivated intrinsically in the buy side, right? So there won't be specific goals or tasks defined to you by the partners as such, right? So you have to go out you have to understand which are the interesting sectors. You have to build out the firms or the funds thesis on your own. Uh, you have to scout the best companies, all of that, right? So you are actually working as an entrepreneur within the VC fund itself. It's a very close-knit team and you're working as an entrepreneur, right? On the other side, uh, within sell side, what was there was, while there was a lot of anal uh, financial analysis, evaluation, uh, strategic thinking, all of those skills, which I learned, uh, a lot of it is more mentorship or top-down driven, right? So you get a lot of uh, help or mentorship at different points from the partners. So that is there, I would say, but ultimately it depends on what you want to build out in your career, right? And what your long-term aspirations are. Got it. And so when you look at the startup ecosystem right now, there are so many new startups coming in. And even if you narrow it down to a particular sector, there are probably hundreds of startups with very similar business models. So how as a VC do you scout companies when looking at an investment thesis and how do you narrow it down to probably a small list of companies that you can delve deeper into? Sure, sure. So uh, again, one macro thing is that from an outside-in perspective, VC role looks very glamorous, right? Because I think it has been popularized by these TV shows like Shark Tank and all, which <clears throat> tell you that you're pitching to, uh, I mean, the entrepreneurs are pitching to you, you're sitting on a high pedestal, uh, the investors, and then they are a sort of uh, listening to the pitch and then negotiating deal down, right? The reality is much more different. It's starkly different from that. And I'll talk about our funds thesis or the fund stage and ticket size also when we come in, right? So Bertelsmann, uh, and just a quick sort of 30 seconds here on what Bertelsmann is, right? So Bertelsmann is actually one of the world's largest digital media conglomerates. And in India, we have uh, its corporate VC arm called Bertelsmann India Investments which again is among India's largest corporate VC arm, right? So this was set up in 2013. And as of now, we have an AUM, active AUM of 250 million plus, which is deployed in 16 companies till date, right? 
And typically, uh, we come in at the early growth stage for the company. So series B or C is our preference. Although we come in at series A also, but that is more opportunistic, right? And because of that, what happens is that once a company, let's say, is has raised a seed or a pre-series or a series A round, we actually actively track them, right? So one is a partnership approach, which we take, wherein we collaborate with the top VC funds in the country, uh, tier one VC funds, and then they serve as a pipeline for us. They have certain events. Uh, where they showcase their portfolio companies and then we uh, join those kind of uh, events, right? One is that. Second is uh, through investment bankers, we source deals, right? So again, we have connected with some of the best uh, investment banks who source tech-related startup deals, uh, right? And then they fit our sort of investment criteria and then we evaluate them, right? And the third is our outreach itself, which comes from our networking itself. So when we are speaking to friends, or other entrepreneurs or our portfolio company founders. And then they recommend a particular company that, hey, this looks very interesting. Why don't you speak to them and see if, if it fits you, right? Uh, and the last thing is a cold reach out uh, by us directly, right? So if we feel a particular company is growing very well, or if it fits our thesis, then we'll just cold reach out to the entrepreneur. And typically entrepreneurs are very open to sort of responding and having a, let's say 45 to 60 minute chat. So these are the various ways. And in terms of check size also, I mean, we have our ticket sizes five to 15 million as the starting check, right? So in that sense, we don't look at seed or pre-series A deals where the competition or the deal volume itself or the pipeline volume could be much higher, right? For us, while the pipeline volume is uh, very healthy, it is relatively less as compared to the early stage kind of deals. Got it. And a lot of time, like media outlets portray this image that uh, VCs are very growth hungry in the sense that all they are looking for is a growing TAM or a growing revenue and stuff like this. So I want to know what is your opinion that is growth the only metric that venture capitalists are concerned about or do you use other metrics as well to validate your analysis? Sure. Again, uh, that's that's again a sort of a misconception, I would say, which has been driven by the media industry, right? In the sense that Obviously, when you are covering a startup, right, what do you as a as a media person want, right? You want that the story is sort of uh, read by as many people as possible. It captures as many eyeballs as possible, right? And that's why you want to uh, focus on those startups which are very high growing or uh, glamorous entrepreneurs, all of that, right? But that's just, again, 1% of the reality, right? Because again, when we as VCs evaluate it, right, it's much more holistic and comprehensive, right? It's not just growth, which we are looking at. But it's a lot of other things, right? So what is the path to profitability? Uh, what is the value proposition for that startup? Why does it have to exist, right? What is the 10x or 100x differential, which it is uh, creating for the customers? Uh, all those different things, right? And then digging deeper into the business model. So how capital efficient is the model? Uh, what is the unit economics? Uh, what is the lifetime value for the customer? All those different things, right? Which we look at. And then we look at uh, the founders, the, the management team, the second level team, how strong are they, the founder market fit, uh, domain expertise, which they bring in, all those different things, right? So while growth is one factor, right, which we look at, there are multiple other factors which we consider, right? And I'll also talk about why growth is important for us, right? Which, which brings me to the economics of a VC fund kind of a, a point, right? Which is essentially that, let's say if you're investing in 10 startups, it's a very risky business, right? VC is extremely risky business. Out of 10, five to six will fail, right? Uh, two to three will give you, uh, let's say, will return your money. And one to two will be your outline uh, outliers, right? So they will probably give you 10x or even more than 10x kind of a thing, right? 
and that is why growth becomes very important but it has to be contextualized that it has to be sustainable growth right and that matters quite a lot for us that for example it cannot be a cash guzzling kind of business that you are just throwing cash you are doing a lot of cashbacks and then consumers are coming in because then the quality of growth is very uh it has to be that there is some other component wherein users are attracted to the product or service right and it it product led growth is one kind of term right which is very popular these days so that can be one thing through which sort of you reduce your marketing expenses all those different things right so i mean overall uh, the the point is that um, apart from growth also there are a lot of things but obviously if a company is growing very well then we know that within 5 to 7 years if we have to invest our money and then sort of look for an exit uh, the company would have reached to that scale because of high growth through after after which we could eventually sort of exit the company by let's say selling to a larger fund or doing an ipo or a strategic sale right so that is the point why we look for uh, companies which are growing very well and a very interesting aspect uh, or exposure that venture capitalist role gives you is that you get to work with the board of a lot of these companies and you yourself has yes. have been a board observer to a lot of the investments that your company has made so i want to know how yeah. that experience has been what do you as a vc contribute to these meetings and what do you get to learn by working by this experience sure 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 uh, so again i'll talk about both my experiences so one with my previous fund with acumen and now currently uh, with bertman also right so Uh, at my previous fund i was the board observer on a lot of companies uh, in different spaces so uh, there was a premium honey company which i was managing then there were companies in the financial services space two nbfcs which i was managing uh, right and then there were others other companies right so typically what happened was there would be uh, i mean monthly update calls mis calls which used to happen and apart from that there would be quarterly board meetings right and uh, those would be very interesting in the sense that while the focus would be that mis calls would cover the operational and financial updates right where is the company going well if the targets have been hit or not if they haven't been hit what is the reason how can we help them in achieving those targets next month all of that but the board meetings would be very interesting right because it would be a mix of strategy plus operational discussions or more of a brainstorming which we would do over 2 to 3 hours or whatever be the time time period for that board meeting right and then we would understand that what is the let's say the next 3 month roadmap for the company and uh, all the investors would come in that let's say if one investor is very good in brand building uh, or could help in pr all of that and the company is looking to launch a brand marketing campaign how can that particular investor come in and provide his expertise given that he has already run it for x number of portfolio companies previously right that could be one the second is that hiring is a sort of a continuous kind of process in a fast growing startup right so can you help again uh, if they are recruiting a cxo or anyone in the second level management team uh, can the partners really interview uh, the 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 particular uh, the the candidate and uh, since he or she who will come in he might be very efficient uh, i i mean the partner will be uh, easier it will be easier for him to be able to uh, look at that candidate and be able to form his views right and because he understands the mission of the company the value prop all of that he'll be able to understand whether that makes the fit in terms of hiring all of that right and apart from that through our own networks uh, getting the best kind of people for them on board so that is very important uh, right and apart from that any kind of challenges which the startup is facing any kind of uh, operational sort of issues where can we come in and what are the blind spots uh, which the company probably is not uh, seeing but they could become very large in the next 18 to 24 months right 
and that comes from i mean pattern recognition right and that is why vc is a long term business right because uh, typically people who are there who spend 5 to 7 years they understand the challenges or problems which are happening in that particular uh, phase right so from 0 to 1 there are specific set of challenges which companies face from 0 to 10 which is the growth phase again there are specific challenges and then from 10 to 100 which is the scaling part there are specific challenges uh, given that partners or the senior people in the vc fund have spent so much time they understand which kind of challenges could become big and which one uh, let's say are not meaningful to solve for right so prioritizing your resources accordingly is very important especially at a growth stage for the startup because you have limited resources and there again the uh, the partners could guide uh, the entrepreneurs right so i think it's much more that you are a operational mentor operational financial mentor for for the startup founders and you are a colleague who is there for him at all times right so be it any challenge which he is facing you should be the first port of call for the founder if he wants to discuss anything and then bring it up to the larger board right uh, so i mean that is that is the thing and again it's a very interesting sort of um, phase also right when you are portfolio managing and uh, brainstorming with the with the founders and doing uh, giving your suggestions on how the company should grow that's very interesting now if we switch sides for a moment like maybe 5 6 years ago there were very few large vcs putting in money in the startup ecosystem firms like tiger global sequoia saf partners which is now elevation capital right now we see a lot of new vc firms are also entering this landscape and uh, coming up with new fund raises to invest in startups so i want to understand what is the competitive advantage that different vc firms offer as in what levers of competitive differentiation do vcs pitch to startups to make them be the investors in that company sure again a very interesting question and i would say if you see uh, 2021 metrics right we see investments of pe investments is at an all time high uh, in india it's all, already crossed i think 20 billion and uh, the number of unicorns in india is already at 37 or 38 at last count in 2021 right which is the cumulative sum of the last 5 years so if we consider from 2015 to 20 the number of unicorns which were born in these years that is the total number which has um, been uh, born in 2021 and it's been a record year in terms of liquidity right uh, there is a lot of capital which is coming in uh, and why is that right it is i would say the full cycle is coming up right so when we see the genesis of vc industry it probably started in india in 2007 to 8 right uh, and now it is coming i mean 10 to 11 years was the full cycle at which these companies took uh, in terms of maturing giving exits all of that right and now as you would have seen right there are record exits which have been uh, done there are ipos which are list, uh, sort of mature tech companies which are listing uh, they are doing ipo they are returning capital to their earlier set of investors and then that's that's a virtuous cycle which has been created right so the capital which is coming back that is being redeployed in these fast growing companies uh you have you had stellar listings of zomato nike all of that the earliest investors are now being rewarded they are redeploying bigger funds all of that is happening right and that in turn is bringing out a lot of interest from global investors right because if we consider india that is probably among the emerging economies it's among the best ones when we see uh uh the 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 return to risk kind of potential which india holds right because obviously china has a lot of regulatory constraints all of that uh, which is there uh, the other markets like us europe are already mature might not give you those kind of returns so india is probably the last frontier which is available for investors to deploy their money and earn sort of good returns right and because of which there are a lot of different uh, investors which are coming in right and the second part to your question now that 
because there are so many investors coming in how do uh, different investors differentiate right and uh, there's an interesting sort of quote also which a vc partner recently told that in this era of high liquidity investors have become like commodity because uh, now uh, i think it also depends on i would say what the entrepreneurs want right and i would classify it in two sort of buckets one is the ones who don't want any kind of uh, mentorship or advice right who are just looking for the right i mean uh, capital in a very quick span of time right so velocity of capital is very important for them and then they might be looking for funds which can quickly close the round maybe in one week to term, two weeks once they have spoken to them they can give a term sheet and they want those kind of investors and the second kind of uh, founders which are probably among the majority are the ones who want uh this to be a long term marriage in the sense that they want the investor to be involved along each of the milestones uh help him succeed help him or her succeed and uh be a mentor to him during success challenges failures all of that right and during that time obviously what happens is similar to we doing uh, let's say ref checks on the founder uh, the founder would also be doing ref checks on the investor right and during that time since it's a very close knit community you can get to know on uh is that particular investor really providing value uh, they could speak to their portfolio companies founders all of that and then they could form their opinions right so that is there and now there is a lot of i mean uh, knowledge itself which is being given out by different funds right which is uh, in different kind of things right so if we talk about uh, let's say bloom ventures which is there they are publishing their own thesis on different spaces like agritech ev all of those right others are uh, let's say having podcast with founders uh, right so you have uh, matrix moments you have uh, axels uh, podcast all of those different things right and then uh, there are uh, investment short investment bite sized investment pieces which are being produced by uh, funds like elevation capital right so all of them are trying to sort of differentiate in that sense that this is the knowledge which we have garnered over the last sort of decade and this is how we can sort of crystallize and help uh, incoming entrepreneurs right so when they are coming in uh they can differentiate in that sense right that it's not just capital which they provide but it's also value added advice right because when a founder is very sort of being chased by a lot of funds he has a problem of plenty right he chooses which fund to partner with and at that time uh you need to be sort of among among his uh, sort of top one to two funds to be able to partner with him right so that is there got it and uh, now digressing a bit from the vc world you have also worked yeah. uh, quite a bit in the impact investment side of things and yes you, recently this notion has come up with that the kind of people have been divided into two groups like one feels that esg is the way to go and only companies with good esg ratings will survive and grow in the coming years and one feels that this is just a way to attract investors and there's no real merit to what this theory proposes so can you give us an overview of impact investing what is your opinion how does it work sure sure happy to do that so again i think i i'll talk about my motivation in terms of joining impact investing right right after my mba uh, from amtal kata and it was that again i was very keen in buy side right so uh, being an impact investor obviously provided me that kind of exposure but it was also an intrinsic kind of motivation right that uh, you could actually add value to the society from your work right so it was not just uh, related to uh, let's say money or uh, just Uh, job titles all of that but it was actually that you were working at the ground level uh, with the bottom or middle income uh, sort of indians and then helping uh, improve their lives uh, lives right so that was there 
And that is why I sort of uh, I decided to join uh, the impact investing space. Um, I've also written a few articles regarding why I joined impact investing and I spent 30 months there at Acumen Fund and I've written about my reflections uh, on my blog itself. Um, uh, probably I'll give a link to that uh, in, in, in the podcast in case uh, listeners are interested to read that, uh, right? Uh, but I mean, what I realized uh, and is that impact investing is very hard, right? In the sense that um, the traditional model of VC, if you see it from that lens, right? It is that you have to return, uh, let's say one of your or two, three portfolio companies have to return 10x, right? Mm -hmm. And on a gross basis, you have to return anywhere from five to six x to the investors, to the LP, mm -hmm. right? Uh, if we look at the sectors where impact investing is needed, and where they're predominantly focused in, that includes, let's say, healthcare, uh, that includes financial services for low-income population, that includes education, uh, right? That includes renewable energy, EVs, all of those different things, right? And there, it is very tough to find those kind of companies which can produce those returns, right? So in that sense, it is very hard. Liquidity is very challenging, right? Because exits are tougher as compared to mainstream capital, uh, if I have to talk about that, right? Uh, so that is there, but Having said that, what is interesting is that, again, a few points which are very interesting and because of which impact investing in that sense is growing. One is that the line between impact and commercial investing itself is blurring, right? So when you see uh, funds like, let's say, there are prominent impact funds, right? Um, they are partnering, uh, let's say, if we talk about Omidyar, we talk about Avishkar, Aspada, uh, right? Uh, Lightstone Capital, all of them. Uh, they are predominantly impact funds, right? With an impact first lens. And they are partnering with, uh, let's say, commercial funds, right? They're coming in um, at, at those stages. So it's very interesting to see. And uh, the second thing is that uh, there is liquidity which is coming in in these sectors also, right? So there are companies which have produced those kind of returns, which a traditional investor can produce from an impact angle, right? So if I talk about a few examples, let's say Vartana is there, which was into uh, uh, affordable financing for the, uh, I mean, school financing for affordable private schools, right? So uh, the earliest investor in that was able to produce four to five X returns um, in that, right? So net-net, uh, what I'm trying to say is that while it is tough, um, deep space is also maturing in that sense, right? That you can make the right kind of returns. Uh, you have LPs now who understand that if you are getting the ESG related metrics or if, if, if a company is hitting that, uh, then they can... Uh, probably uh, look at uh, slightly lower returns as compared to, let's say, if they might be looking at 25% plus IRR from a commercial VC, they might be looking anywhere from 18 to 20% from an impact fund, right? And that could probably be achieved, uh, right? And overall, if we look at it from a macro angle, I think this is the need of the R, right? Uh, you cannot uh, sort of delete beyond this point, right? So climate tech investments, all of those, I think it's not just impact investments which will focus on it, but on the next decade, everyone will come in in those things, right? If we talk about the present context also, agri-tech, which was there probably five to six years back, only impact funds were doing that. But now you have all the commercial VCs who are doing uh, agri-tech related deals. It is producing returns, all of that. Similar thing will happen in climate tech, right? And uh, that will be the true win, right? Because you actually urgently need uh, all these solutions. Even if you see the climate conference, which happened recently, uh, there's two trillion of capital uh, globally, which has to be mobilized for these uh, ESG initiatives. And we are very, very short of achieving that target. And that is why if you, you, you need to mobilize more kind of impact capital. You need to have commercial VCs who want to do, uh, who want to co-partner in these kind of deals. And that is why it's very important. 
uh, yeah. Okay. So now let's come to the story behind our junior VC. So can you talk us through the early days? What was the idea behind this when you started it? How did you join the team as a co-founder? And sure, sure, happy to do that. So uh, again, uh, just to give some background, uh, Avril actually started uh, this. So he is the founder, and uh, essentially he had a weekly newsletter through which he used to sort of talk about one interesting company and uh, give a bite-sized view on what they were doing, why they were interesting, all of that. And then he would used to have a sort of seven to 10 links on interesting reads for the week, all of that, right? And after that, I think uh, the idea was that he wanted to sort of scale it 10x and uh, uh, really uh, evolve it in that manner that at that time when when he started this in 2018 time frame, right? Uh, there weren't, there was a white space, right? In the sense that uh, while there was a lot of interest from entrepreneurs, from other people, let's say in the industry to read about why did a startup become successful? There wasn't any sort of media publication which was doing the right kind of justice in terms of bringing out that story, right? Either there was press releases which were talking about funding announcements, all of that glorified view of the company or the founder that it scaled this, raised X millions, all of that, right? Or it was just uh, pieces which were criticizing the companies, right? There are publications which took a very negative light, uh, right? That it's not performing. And obviously, uh, I mean, there are 100 challenges, right? So you don't want to magnify those. It's that if 10% of the startups sort of uh, just uh, created a lot of value and they sort of broke out to become the next successful venture, what were the reasons behind that, right? And we wanted to cover that. We wanted to sort of bring in an optimistic lens that, Startup building is very hard, right? And we wanted to celebrate the ones which were actually able to break the mold and which were able to deliver those kind of, let's say, returns and value for the society, right? So that was the intent and we wanted to cover it through a long form, right? So stories was one piece through which we started, wherein we started writing about very interesting startups, which had, let's say, either become unicorns or were sunicorns or which were scaling very exponentially, right? And we wanted to talk about the journey on what enabled them to reach to that point, what were the challenges which they tackled. And how did they scale up, right? So it was again from a zero to one, one to 10 and 10 to 100 journey, which we covered in our pieces. So that was the flagship product. Uh, I joined the team around 2019 with three other uh, people. So I was part of the founding team. It was a very interesting time that time when we were just publishing stories. And over the last two years, I think uh, we have grown exponentially, right? In terms of the products, which we have, as well as the team. Now, I think it's a 25 plus team member. Uh, we have various products which we have launched uh, and different people are there who are sort of product heads, right? So each of them lead their own particular product. And all of these products have evolved based on reader's feedback, right? So for example, if I take an example, uh, we used to write some uh, terms in the article, let's say unit economics, contribution margin, all of those different things. And readers would say that, what does what do these terms actually mean, right? So if you're not part of the industry or you don't understand it, what do these terms mean? So we actually started a product called Concepts, which was again a very simplified comic book version of uh, the most used jargon in the startup world. And just explaining it in a very simple manner that uh, let's say seventh or eighth grader could also understand it, uh, spend three to five minutes, and he would understand the concept very well, right? Again, it received a phenomenal sort of reception, uh, consumer feedback, all of that. We launched on Product Hunt also, I think in July of this year, we were product of the day. Uh, exceeded any sort of expectations which we had about how that would do. Uh, but that's just one example of the product, right? And 
moving forward also i mean we have evolved we have launched different products there are podcasts which we have with different founders called founders unfiltered there are case studies which we have there are startup stats uh, and different kind of things now which we have right we also have southeast asia being covered all those different things and again the overall intent is that we want to be the most helpful guide or a knowledge ecosystem builder for the venture capital community right so if anyone wants to understand something uh, a junior vc should be the go to source if anyone wants inspiration if anyone wants to understand the challenges in building a startup he should come to a junior vc and he should get some kind of the right kind of content to read to watch or listen to right so that is the intent and uh, it's more of a passion project for all of us all of us do this on weekends uh, it's purely i mean passion driven nothing uh, monetary in that sense and it's just exciting to see how it has evolved and excited to see how it evolves going into the future that's that's amazing keshav so i i wanted to know how difficult was it to since now that you have mentioned that you worked on it on weekends how difficult was it to manage and grow this while working a full time job that is in itself very time consuming the reason i ask this is yeah. that a lot of people these days even those who are working in corporates have some kind of side hustles in their mind or some kind of passion that they want to pursue not just for yeah. monetary reasons but just for simple purpose that they like doing that but they don't yeah. they're not able to find that time or that inspiration to do that so how did you manage it and any advice for people out there who want to do something sure sure so i think uh again it depends on what you are very passionate about right because if you are a very simple thing right if you are passionate about something you will take out time for that right be it how much let's say stretched are you on time all of that right i think uh, all of us uh, the team members all the team members if i talk, talk about it they resonated with the core mission right that there is a white space and they want to do something which produces value for the people right uh and that is why they take out time uh, on the weekends and uh, typically i mean on average it takes 3 to 4 hours on weekend right uh, varies case to case basis now we have a good set of team right so uh, we rotate people all of that give them breaks right so if one member is writing on a story uh and since we publish it fortnightly he might not work on the next story right so anyways he gets a one month break in that sense right so that is there and uh the second thing is that uh now we have a process which has been developed right so everyone knows what he or she has to work on so for example if i talk about the story right it has evolved into nine sections and i would say a 13 to 15 minute read uh, with a lot of visuals uh, videos all of that right uh, so if we are writing on a particular story there are three sort of writers there is one editor there is a group of designers visual people who are working on it and everything is organized right it's very timeline driven in that sense that uh, week minus 1 before publishing you have to do this week minus 3 days we have to complete this all of that right so it's i mean the process is so well oiled and structured now that it has become a habit for all of us right it's not that we have to take out time and then think about oh no we are writing it on saturday i mean we are publishing on sunday and then we have to start writing on saturday it's not like that right and that is the great thing right that everyone is motivated everyone comes together publishes something and we enjoy uh, i mean uh, listening to readers sort of uh, feedback uh, reading um, feedback of the readers all of that right and that is what uh, drives us right to be able to incrementally improve on each of our pieces uh, that is there right and the second thing which you mentioned about side hustle right uh, that has become very popular again uh, these days right that uh, everyone wants to do something uh, be it let's say as as you are doing right doing a podcast or let's say having uh, his or her own blog or just let's say on youtube running a channel wherein you are teaching about any specific or niche area uh, of interest right 
again, I would say it depends on a few things. One is uh, what drives you, what is your interest, right? Uh, so that is very important. The second thing is how much time commitment can you do, right? Uh, because what we see in a lot of areas is that consistency is super hard, right? So when you start, obviously you are very motivated, very excited that, hey, you're building out this new product or something, you're doing that. But slowly that passion uh, or the commitment tapers out, right? So by month six, you're not as enthused or motivated, right? The biggest thing is that if, you're, if you just have to be consistent, right? And that is possibly one of the best lessons also, which I've learned from Avril that just being consistent, right? And the compounding effect for that is enormous, right? So five years down the line, 10 years down the line, if you see what you have been able to do, that would be phenomenal, right? You just have to be consistent. You have to show up every day and you have to do it, right? So that is there. And uh, yeah, I mean, that is there. And obviously if, if you are driven by, let's say monetary a sort of side hustle, uh, you could work on that also uh, depends on your area of interest. But I think if you're able to manage both of them, you obviously don't have to get burnt out, right? That you start working on your side hustle during weekdays also. And then there's a lot of overload which you have. So you have to maintain it. You have to take sort of adequate breaks, all of that. Uh, but at the same time, if you can devote, let's say two to three hours on weekends and do something, uh, it, it, I mean, sky is the limit in terms of what you can build your side hustle. That's, that's great advice, Keshav. Now that we have breached the subject, a lot of people these days are continuously chasing work-life balance, like a job that gives them work-life balance, that gives them time to relax, rejuvenate, things like this. In your opinion, do you think this is an abstract concept? This doesn't exist? Like this is fictional or are there actual ways to achieving this work-life balance? Yeah. So I think yeah, I'll talk about through my previous experiences also, right? That there were certain professions which were very rigorous, right? Which, which don't give you even time to just um, recharge and just take a break, right? Uh, and I mean, obviously investment banking is one, right? Wherein typically the idea is that you would work there for four to five years, uh, earn very rapidly and then sort of move towards another industry, right? So that is one wherein it's tough to find a work-life balance, I would say, right? But that is also changing now, right? If we see a lot of measures are being taken by reputed investment banks like JP Morgan, Goldman Sachs, all of that, right? Uh, giving complete time off on Saturdays or recharge weekends, all of those different sort of programs which they run, right? Uh, that is there. The second thing is that, uh, especially in this pandemic period, right? A lot of us have realized working from home, working remotely that uh, just plugging off, right? And recharging is very important, right? Taking a digital detox is very important because uh, essentially uh, during work from home, right? All of us, uh, a majority of us, I would say, have started working a higher amount of time, right? So 20 to 30%, the workers have increased all of that, right? And that is why it becomes very important to set the right kind of boundaries that uh, work, uh, give your best during the work times, and then uh, take certain breaks, right? To spend time with your family, to spend time with your friends, uh, spend time on hobbies, all of that is very important, right? Uh, and I would say that Work-life balance, I think, is a misnomer in the sense that I prefer work-life harmony, right? In the sense that you uh, essentially have to uh, sort of look at those areas and work in those areas where you are very motivated, right? And cliched as it may sound that on Mondays, I am actually sort of very excited that I am uh, looking forward to the week, right? I'll speak to interesting entrepreneurs who are doing something big, who are trying to change the world, all of that. I'll speak with my portfolio companies, listen to what they are sort of have, have done, uh, probably address any challenges or be value additive, right? Help them out in any way, right? So you have to, so what I'm trying to say is that you have to find the nature of work which interests you quite a lot, which you are passionate about, right? And again, the stark reality is that 
I mean, 80 to 90% of the people, they just live uh, or do the job for paycheck purpose, right? It's that they're not motivated by it. So you have to continuously sort of introspect also, see what your skill sets are there, right? And then align it with what you want to do, right? Uh, there's a Japanese concept called Ikigai, right? Which is essentially finding your happiness, right? And it's a mix of factors, right? So what you're truly good at, what the society wants, what you can earn in. And it's a sort of concentric circle on all of that. And the intersection really produces uh, the magic sort of uh, quadrant for you, right? And that is something which I strongly sort of uh, follow, right? That uh, do something which you love because life essentially is very short, right? If, if you are just struggling uh, in your day job, not liking it, why not quit, right? Look for something which interests you and work with it. Got it. And when we talk about the startup ecosystem or the hustle culture that is prevalent these days, they have really changed the meaning of failure. So right now it's not just okay to fail. Some people even say that it's important to fail in your life because that is the biggest learning point that you get and you get to learn from your mistakes. You experience hardships, you experience struggle. But how easy or how difficult it is to deal with the mental pressure that comes with failure on the personal level. And especially in your context, you were a new gold medalist when you graduated. And then you were trying to clear CAD and it took you four attempts to actually get into IAM Calcutta. So from that perspective, a lot of people might term it as a failure as well. So how, how did you cope up with that? How did you come out of it? And do you think we ascribe too much importance to this concept of failure? Sure. Great question. Yeah. And I'll probably address it in two parts. One is more, the second half is more personal related, right? So I bring out my experience learning from that. And first half is more related to failure, right? So I'll tackle the first part, which is, uh, on a uh, failure, right? So, I mean, obviously, uh, I mean, what is good to see now is that people are much more empathetic as well as open to sharing their experiences about failure, uh, much more as compared to, let's say, three to four years back when it was sort of avoided in that sense, right? And uh, I mean, the Indian culture is changing quite a lot, uh, which is great to see, right? Because essentially, if you look at Silicon Valley or uh, mature economies, right? They are very open to that culture of experimentation, rapid experimentation, failure, learning from it. And they, they don't sort of give a negative view that if you fail, you can't do anything now in life, right? You are sort of doomed. That's not the culture which they uh, sort of encourage, right? And that's why you see so many innovations which have happened from Silicon Valley, all of that, right? Because they failed 100 times, but on 101st time, they produced a wonderful outcome, right? And that same thing is happening now in India, wherein a lot of startups, they, let's say, are building out in the open, uh, even if they are feeling they are sharing their experiences that if their startup didn't work, what were the challenges, right? So other, other people who are building who are in the same stage, they can learn from their failures and possibly can avoid that missteps, right? Uh, so it's very gratifying to see that. And uh, the second thing is that people or the community itself is much more supportive or receptive in that sense that there are specific uh, niche communities which are being found, let's say founders are there of a particular sector who are there to encourage each other, right? So the competitive attitude, which was probably there, that is that is changing to more of a collaborative attitude. How can you help out peers uh, who are building, who are in the same space and be a mentor to each other and be support allies, right? Because entrepreneurship is very lonely, right? Uh, Beat all the glamorous news, which is put out there, 99% uh, of it is hard work, sweat and tears, right? Which is not covered by traditional media. And that is why you need the right kind of support system. There's so much mental uh, and physiological trauma, which is there, right? In terms of building, because there are X number of challenges. So you need the right kind of support system and that is being built, right? A lot of funds now have their own sort of accelerator systems, right? So 
within that it's a six to eight week boot camp which they're running sequoia surge is there right which is their re-level by axel is there which are some names right and they are sort of building a community for founders that you are in it for together and let's build it and learn from each other right so the successful founders come they share the lessons right so that is very um, exciting to see and i think that culture should continue and should uh, move forward also right uh, for example let's say in ajvc also we were discussing one thing that there are a lot of startups which sort of fail right in the sense that they would have raised a lot of money but they couldn't work out right so can we possibly do a product in that sense that talk about those sort of stories right the ones which came in which tried but which couldn't succeed right and talk about their learnings right and bring in let's say investors founders that what were your learnings what were you trying to build what was the thesis what didn't work right was it bad timing what is was it uh, not good execution was it uh, not finding the right product market fit all of that and then talking about it right so that is something which is there and the second thing now uh, coming to your uh, my personal story right so again it was definitely honestly it was a setback right because in the first attempt itself i got a good percentile right uh, at 99 plus percentile missed uh, i may be see calls by whisker right so the it was obviously that in the second or third attempt i would be able to sort of crack that again right and during the second attempt itself what happened was right while there was a lot of overconfidence there was also stress which i had built in right that i was working i was in a day job and i had to sort of crack it right which wasn't the case when i was let's say doing uh, giving it during the graduation days right that obviously there was a backup in place right and at the second and third attempt i would say was more of a humbling experience right it was a lot of obviously during that phase you have to find uh, some kind of motivation right to be able to give it your best shot all of that uh, thing right and second third attempt definitely those were the those that was the period when i think i took a lot of support encouragement from my uh, family from my friends right to be able to just stay in that right and that's linked to the earlier point which i was mentioning right that you just have to uh, be there right you have to just show up you have to grind right because at some point of time uh the the stars will align right that if you are really putting in that effort and you are really motivated the there will be something which will change right and that finally probably happened in the fourth attempt uh, which i did right and again an interesting thing was out of all the four attempts the least amount of time which i spent actually preparing for cat was on the fourth or final attempt right and i also had now looking back at right i had backups in place for the fourth attempt right so from that angle the stress which i had was minimal right so i was actually planning to go for my mba abroad i given gmat all of those things right so i was actually preparing for that and i just thought let's say let's give cat just as one last attempt and let's see if i really have that potential right and uh, fortunately things worked out well in the fourth attempt and finally i was able to join ipalta that was there uh, but yeah i mean uh, during those sort of periods right you just have to find your sort of inner strength believe in yourself be confident about what you are if you really know you can do it uh, just stay in it right and that is also linked to let's say uh, entrepreneurs right if they are receiving a lot of rejections from investors when they are raising funds you have countless stories right uh, i mean uh, there's one particular company called off business uh, which has which became a unicorn this year uh, the founder uh, was a investor previously uh, with a with a fund and he his pitch was rejected 73 times or something right but he stayed there right because he understood what he was building he was super convinced i mean from a conviction lens he had very strong conviction right so it's ultimately that right that are you convinced and uh, the power of a conviction will ultimately drive 
the ecosystem around you to change, right? And that is the only thing which you have to uh, which you have to focus on. That's a great answer, Keshu, and thank you for sharing your personal experience uh, of overcoming this setback. So uh, I think this podcast show wouldn't be complete uh, if I don't ask you about your experience of your undergraduate college as well as MBA from IIM Calcutta. Given that I am also the alumnus of both these colleges, and it's it's good to connect with you this time. So I, how was it uh, studying at Bachelor of Business Administration from CBS? How was your ex- MBA experience at IIM Calcutta? What did you learn? Things you liked, things you didn't like. Sure, sure. So I think from CBS again. Uh, if I talk about it, it was that um, the practical kind of experience which you can get, right? Uh, that was amazing, right? Because uh, and again, that is uh, ultimately what you can call fate or something, right? Because I was more interested, let's say, in doing a BCom from SRCC, all of that. Uh, but eventually, I uh, decided to join uh, CBS or BBS, right? And it was a great three years kind of experience, right? Because you're actually doing a mini MBA, right? And the great thing is that 60 to 70% of what is taught in an MBA, you are already learned that in your three years stint, right? So essentially in two years of MBA, uh, you can chill out in that sense, right? That you can focus on, uh, let's say networking, uh, attending or, or, or participating in a lot of competitions, going on student exchange, all of those different things, right? While the bulk majority, which 80 to 90% of engineers who would be coming in, they would be learning it let's say from uh, zero again, right? Because you are learning accounting, uh, economics, all of that, right? Which they haven't uh, probably uh, learned, right? So that is that. Uh, so I, I think college was, I think, uh, a great experience in the sense that uh, was part of various uh, sort of societies, all of that, uh, built an excellent set of friends uh, for life, all of those things, and uh, really understood what I wanted to sort of do, uh, right? In terms of, while there was, obviously there was, uh, uh, confusion in terms of which career path to choose should it be consulting or investment banking or buy side ultimately there was a set of consideration which i was able to zero down on post my graduation right and then if i talk about mba after i came in in my mba after three years of work experience right so in that sense i had much more sort of understanding about how the work sort of work environment itself operated right and that is something which i also advise to other people who are lo- who are looking to do their mba is that uh, I strongly prefer that you should get at least 18 to 24 months of work experience before deciding to do your MBA, right? The culture is that you do your graduation and then you go straight for your MBA, right? That will be more of a theoretical exercise, right? Because you essentially haven't still understood what you want to do, right? Let's say for me, if I take my personal example, I was very passionate about, uh, let's say, investment banking that I have to make a long-term career in it during my graduation days, right? But when I actually worked there, I understood that probably this wasn't something which I was looking to do in the long term, right? While it was interesting, exciting, uh, this wasn't something which I really wanted to sort of do my long-term career in, right? And that I wouldn't have known if I uh, straight away went from CBS to doing my MBA, right? After that, I would have realized which would again have taken two to three years for me, right? So that is there. You understand which sectors you are interested in, which industries you are interested in. You speak to a lot of people. You understand the work culture. All of those different things happen. And when you're coming back in the MBA, you are able to sort of uh, cross-relate those learnings, right? So when the lectures are happening, all of that, you uh, use that when you're working on a case study, you're able to bring out those kind of learnings, right? Which is much more richer in that sense, uh, right? And MBA, again, was an excellent time. I mean, uh, at uh, I think the two things uh, which I think should, we should probably focus on is 
uh, or people who are uh, about to do their MBA should focus on. One is that build a very good kind of, uh, not a network, I would say, but valuable set of friends, right? Who are there with you, uh, right? So that is very important during your MBA days because if you have a batch size of 450 plus, right, which was uh, what I had during my IMC days, you obviously won't be developing uh, or knowing all of them, right? But let's say you have a close group and then you know uh, people, right? Because 10 to 15 years down the line, uh, some of them would have, let's say, uh, become very good kind of uh, top reputed people, all of that, right? And if you, there, there are a lot of help which you can derive from other people, right? In the sense that if I have to reach out to someone, my friend, right? Uh, I am very easily able to do that if he's working in other industry. I just want to, let's say, have a 10 minute chat on what he's doing. If he's, let's say, working in the EV space, uh, there's a particular question which I have. I can just reach out and have a quick chat, right? So that is very important. Uh, the second thing is obviously uh, focusing on not just the studies, but the extracurriculars also, which matters, right? So uh, going on student exchange trips, which are among the best, I would say, strongly recommend everyone who, do, who does his MBA and has that opportunity in college to go for student exchange. And uh, being a part of a lot of competitions, seminars, uh, attending various things, right? So that is very important. Yeah. That's great, Keshav. Now a biased question coming your way. Uh, what's yeah. the best thing about I am Calcutta according to you? Sure. I think the best thing is uh, the freedom uh, which is given in the sense that, right, uh, if we compare I am ABC, uh, I think the, uh, I mean the campus itself, I think that is amazing, right? That is, I, if I talk about the two-year sort of uh, my stay there, right, I miss the campus the most, the seven lakes the most, definitely. Uh, that is the best part, right, where you could just sit on the bench in front of that river uh, speak to friends, right? Almost carefree days. Uh, think about uh, what you want to do in life, all of those uh, chit chats which you're doing, right? That was the best thing. And uh, that is something I miss the most. Um, and the second thing is probably uh, the autonomy which is given, right? In that sense, that uh, teachers and everyone, they understand that now you have become much more mature, you are responsible, you are adults, right? So they give, give that kind of flexibility. And that is something which I appreciate quite a lot. In some other colleges, uh, without obviously naming them, there is still a school or a college kind of environment wherein uh, you have to attend X number of classes. Uh, if you are not doing that, there will be penalization, penalization, all of that. Right? So it's not school driven in that sense. They understand that you are adults now and you can get aut autonomy. So, and that is something which I really enjoy quite a lot. That's, that's great to hear. Uh, last question for the show. Uh, so you have been working for around eight, nine years now. Uh, you graduated in 2013. So what is an advice you would have given to your younger self when you are just coming out of your undergraduation college? Yeah, great thing. Great question. Uh, I think a couple of things. One would be that uh, don't have a fixed mindset in the sense that this is the path or career which I want to sort of go into or uh, have a five to seven year time frame that I just want to sort of go into this, right? Be very open to exploring different opportunities, right? So for example, uh, you would be very passionate about one sector, right? Let's say consulting or something, uh, but be open to exploring others, right? And by exploring, I mean, uh, if your batchmates are, let's say, going into product management or joining a startup or doing investment banking, be in touch with them, understand what their work is, uh, right? And try to uh, think about that. Would you be interested if, if that opportunity is there, right? So be open to exploring different fields. That is very important. And the second thing is, 
uh, I mean, that is more driven from the culture itself, which is built right, right up till the placement season that it is just job, job, job that you want to focus on, crack the best job, get the best job, uh, right? Um, and uh, there's a very competitive environment, which is there. I would say in the long run, all that doesn't matter, right? Uh, during that time, you sort of join that rat race that you want to get the best job, you want to get, uh, you want to be the cream in terms of the applicants that you get that uh, job or something, right? In the long term, all of that sort of equalizes, right? Uh, your brand, uh, let's say if you are part of IM, um, anyone, ABC, right? That will matter only for the first possibly two to three years of your career after your MD, right? After that, it is just how open you are to learning, uh, right? Uh, what is your sort of, uh, how clear are you in terms of your career goals, ambitions, all of that, that matters quite a lot, right? So even if you're getting a, a not so great job at the campus, don't fret over it, right? Uh, fight for other kind of things off campus, if you're able to do that. And eventually, as I mentioned, right, if you are sort of, if you know what you want to do, if you are 100% focused on it, eventually you would be able to get it. That's great, Keshav. That's great advice. Thanks a lot for your time, Keshav. I think these insights that you have shared with us have been immensely helpful and the listeners would benefit a lot out of from it. Uh, thank you, Keshav. I hope you had a good time. Great. Thanks chatting to you also, Prabal, and a wonderful set of questions. Uh, and thank you for inviting me again. Thank you, Keshav.